Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the All Things New podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode. I'm so excited for today's episode because it's been on my heart for a while and it's finally happening. I'm so happy. I've had to do a little bit of research, well, kind of a lot of it. Anyways, I've had to do research in regards to this topic um, because of, you know, there was, there was some data that I knew about, but I wanted to be able to cite it and read it to y'all because, you know, it's important stuff. So today's topic is what they didn't tell you about waiting until marriage. So to preface this episode, I want to say that, first of all, I'm speaking, of course, from a Christian perspective, and there have been a lot of really, really harmful ideas um, spread throughout Christianity. And I have touched on a lot of those in the previous episode, which is titled The Purity Problem. So I encourage you to listen to that if you have not already. But I discuss a lot of harmful ideas that have been spouted throughout Christianity. And I dispelled a lot of those. And I'll be doing the same thing here. And I'm not coming from that perspective of purity culture of, you know, girls have to wear paper bags um, so that men don't lust after them. That's not what I'm, that's not the perspective I'm coming from. Um, So I'm prefacing that by saying that. But also, if you are not a virgin... Your worth and value is not diminished. We have this idea that, like, and I mentioned this also in in the previous episode, that if you're a virgin, that means you're pure, but that's not the case. You could be impure in your thoughts and in your head, and that does not make you pure just because you haven't had sex. And so if you're not a virgin, that doesn't mean that you're impure. (laughs) Um, And so you have to, of course, pursue purity, but if you're not a virgin, you, your value is not diminished as a person. You are worth it. And your past experiences don't define you. The mistakes you've made don't define you. Your regrets don't define you. None of that defines you. You're defined by who your father is. And so I'm going to preface this by saying that if you are not a virgin or if you are a virgin and have done something that you regret, that you felt really shameful about, God has not changed how he feels about you. He never will change how he feels about you because he loves you unconditionally. He didn't regret dying for you on the cross. He didn't regret giving his life for your salvation. And so that doesn't change based upon what you did or didn't do. So just saying in the beginning of this episode, God loves you just as you are. He wants you to change. He loves you how you are, but he doesn't want you to stay in that place if you are still living in a place of sin, which ultimately hurts your own self. Sin is sometimes fun. A lot of times it's fun, but it is harmful. And God does not desire for you to be harmed and to be hurt so yeah whatever (laughs) if there are any like ideas that have been spouted in your head and you feel as if you're worthless that is a lie from satan because you are not he wants you to believe that you're worthless but you're not because god created you and he loves you so much and he has so much redeeming power for you so I wanted to read a couple of scriptures here backing up the fact that you are worth it. Um, Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. I would also like to read a story coming from John chapter 8, and this is the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 11. Now the scribes and the Pharisees bought a woman caught in the act of adultery, And after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said to him, him being Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? 
Now they were saying this to test him so they might have grounds for accusing him, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the grounds. When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, when they heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning with the elder ones, and he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the courtyard. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, do not sin any longer. So in this moment, this moment of vulnerability and of shame, this woman, I can't imagine how humiliated she feels as she's pulled out of the bedroom into probably this public place by these religious people accusing her, asking Jesus, who is God in the flesh, asking him, what should we do? Because the loss is we should stone her. And in her state, he loves her. He gives her mercy, but not only that, but he tells her, leave this life of sin. Don't continue down this path. I want to preface once again, this episode with the fact that you are not condemned. It doesn't matter what happened to you or what you've done. You are a new creature in Christ and he has redeeming power. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery was spared by the only one who was worthy enough to condemn her. The only one without sin, the only one qualified to cast a stone was the one who chose not to condemn her. That's the God that we serve. That is a mercy. And that same mercy is new for you every single day. Lamentations 3 verses 22 and 23 say, The Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end, for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's faithfulness is forever. And he will always love you. That will never change. That will never, ever, ever change. So what I'm about to unpack is not to shame or point fingers as um, that would not align with the character of Christ, as you've just read in the previous story. It's merely to connect the dots between what secular sociological studies have found in regards to sex and marriage and how their findings actually align with biblical principles. There is a previous episode that I recorded that is titled Practical Protection. I also encourage you to listen to that if you have not as well. It is talking about how God's instructions for us are not to um, to stop us or to prevent us from enjoying our lives or having fun. It's for protection. And so the whole concept of fleeing from sexual morality is not to prevent us from enjoying our lives. It's not to prevent us from having fun. <laughs> it's to protect us. And so I'm going to read a couple of studies that talk about this. But before I do that, I basically the title of of like the subtitle I suppose of this podcast um is like waiting until marriage is wise because and then I've got a couple of points that I'm going to give that finish that sentence. So the first reason waiting until marriage is wise because it promotes delayed gratification and self-control. Delayed gratification is a beautiful thing, not always fun because waiting is not easy and it's not fun a lot of times. But this concept promotes quality over quantity and it highlights that good things are worth the wait. So I think that that idea can be applied to this, to the fact that if you wait for something, if you prepare for it, if you wait for it, 
it'll be beautiful and it'll be way worth, it'll be totally worth the wait in the end. I'd like to read Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 25, which are quite commonly read in the Bible, but it's talking about the fruits of the spirit. And it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I'd like to jump down to Galatians chapter 6, and I'm reading verses 8 through 9, which say, Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I love this passage so much because it's reinforcing the idea that the the consequence, the end result of sin is death, but by living in the spirit, life comes from that. The end result of living and walking in the spirit is life. And I love how it touches on the end. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. So it's that idea, once again, of delayed gratification. It's this idea of pursuing a goal, pursuing righteousness. And if you do not give up, you will reap a harvest of blessing and those blessings will be tenfold much better than you could have ever imagined for yourself. So now I'm going to start getting into the stats and the studies that I found. Studies and data show that the least amount of sexual partners one has at the time of marriage, that they will be statistically more likely to have happier and long lasting marriages and also lower divorce rates. So this is very significant and I want y'all to keep that in mind. So the first study I'm going to read, or it's really, it's a, it's more of an article. There's a study I'm going to get into as well. Um, this study is titled counterintuitive trends in the link between premarital sex and marital stability. Okay. So it's not just about like the amount of people you've slept with. It's about stability, long-term marital stability, which I find to be very, very interesting. Once again, touching on delayed gratification, these decisions, this, bleh, sorry, these decisions that you make in the, in your present may affect your future to a great degree. And so it's important to think about that, to think long-term, of course, live in the moment, but think, is this decision going to harm me or is it going to help me in the future? So I'm going to not read the entire thing, but I'm going to touch on parts that I think are significant. I will also link these in the description of the podcast so that y'all can read them too, because this stuff is so interesting. And all of these sources are secular, um, which I found was extra interesting because it's not like a Christian blog talking about oh, wait to have sex until you're married because Jesus said so. Like, of course, that's a good enough reason to do so. Like, and that's why you should be doing it. But the reason he says so is sociological. It's psychological. And it's it's, it's deeper than a, an instruction in the Bible. So I'm going to start reading this study. This comes from the Institute of, uh, for Family Studies. Okay. Um, the site is if, ifstudies.org. And I'm going to begin reading this article. 
American sexual behavior is much different than it used to be. Today, most Americans think premarital sex is okay and will have three or more sexual partners before marrying. What, if anything, does premarital sex have to do with marital stability? This research brief shows that the relationship between divorce and the number of sexual partners women have prior to marriage is complex. I explore this relationship using data from the three most recent waves of the National Survey of Family Growth collected in 2002, 2006, 2010, or through 2006 through 2010, and 2011 through 2013. So this, these, this data is for women marrying since the start of the new millennium. Women with 10 or more partners were the most likely to divorce, but this only became true in recent years, which is interesting. Women with three to nine partners were less likely to divorce than women with two partners, and women with zero to one partners were the least likely to divorce. Earlier research found that having multiple sex partners prior to marriage could lead to to less happy marriages and often increased the odds, the odds, I can't, what in the world, I can't speak, increased the odds of divorce. But sexual attitudes and behaviors continue to change in America and some of the strongest predictors of divorce in years gone by no longer matter as much as they once did. Now the author is, is quoting them, they're saying, in my book, In my 2005 book, Understanding the Divorce Cycle, I showed that transmission of divorce between generations became weaker as divorce grew more common. Could the same thing have happened with sexual behavior? Somewhat surprisingly, the answer appears to be no. Even more noteworthy has been the decline in the proportion of women who get married having had only one sex partner, in most cases their future husbands. 43% of women had just one premarital sex partner in the 1970s. By the aughts, this was down to 21%. Neither of these two trends changed much after the first decade of the 21st century following the wake of the sexual revolution. Um, in the 1970s have been characterized as a decade of carnal exploration. Another piece of sexual revolution is the development of birth control as well. I'm not against birth control, but that has a lot of significance in regards to the sexual revolution and the ideas of premarital sex um, and, uh, I guess, I suppose, quote-unquote, sexual liberation. Um, the development of birth control has a lot to do with the trends in regards to um, our society in regards to like the ideas that we have about sex. Um, let's see. This doesn't seem to have been the case for the vast majority of women who ultimately tied the knot in the decade. Almost two thirds of them had a, at most one sex partner prior to getting prior to getting married. Even in the 1980s, slightly over half of women had a maximum of one sex partner before walking down the aisle. Things looked very different at the start of the new millennium. So essentially, what they're going to get at is in the 2010s, five percent of brides were virgins, opposed to 21 in the 70s. Or with, well, this is zero partners, so that's virgins. 5%. So a very, very small percentage. And essentially what this study is getting at is these, the, the correlation is very strong <laughs> between the amount of sex partners and also the amount of divorce rates. Um, and so not only were these people who are have the least amount of sex, sex partners most likely to have a happier marriage, they were least likely to divorce. Of course, that does not mean everyone right things happen. That does not mean that if you're a virgin, you're going to have a perfect marriage because listen, you got to work at it. Um, this is not 
equal everyone. But the data shows that the least amount of sexual partners one has, the most likely they will have a successful marriage, the least likely they will divorce. And this um, this article also includes lots of graphs and tables, which is quite interesting. I will link this in the description, but um, I think this is very interesting. And I'm now going to move on to the next study. The next article I'm about to touch on is titled Fewer Sex Partners Means a Happier Marriage. And this was published um, actually like four years ago around this time, October 2018. And it is written by Olga Kazan. This also, this study um, includes some more graphs, which is very interesting. But essentially, it's talking about um, how, as the title says, <laughs> how fewer sex partners means a happier marriage. Of course, once again, that doesn't mean 100% of people who are virgins when they marry will have a happy marriage because you have to work at it. You have to have aligned values, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a very interesting piece here that I would like to read. It's referring to certain studies that were taken. There was a sociologist named Nicholas Wolfinger, and he did some studies. He did some studies. Um, one of the quotes from this article here says, over at the Institute for Family Studies, Nicholas Wolfinger, a sociologist at the University of Utah, has found that Americans who have only ever slept with their spouses are most likely to report being in a quote-unquote very happy marriage Meanwhile, the lowest odds of marital happiness about 13%, about 13 percentage points lower than the one partner women belong to women who have had six to 10 sexual partners in their lives. For men, there's still a dip in marital satisfaction after one partner, um, but it's never as low as it gets for women. And there's a graph here as well. Now that's not saying that men shouldn't wait either. Um, men and women do have different um, physiological reactions to sex but still regardless both men and women um will have happier marriages the least amount of sex partners that they have so i'd like to read this portion here it says first wolfinger says religiousness doesn't explain the difference between the happy virgins and the less happy everyone else but it could be something more subtle and i found this to be so interesting People who avoid sex before marriage might simply value marriage more highly, so they feel more satisfied by it. Contrary to what pop culture might have you believe, Americans are overall a pretty chaste people. The median average woman born in the 1980s, Wolfinger writes, has had only three sexual partners in her lifetime and the median man six. So if you have even less sexual experience than that, your significant other might be your dream man simply by the virtue of being your spouse. And here's a quote here by Andrew Charlin, Charlin my, my apologies. It says, those who have had never had sex with anyone but their spouse may be the kind of people who value commitment highly. And this um, Andrew Cherlin is a Johns Hopkins University sociologist. The quote continues by saying, they have never been interested in sex without commitment, and once married, they may be more committed to their spouses and therefore happier. I think this was so incredibly interesting. Um, so yeah, this is interesting data. I'm also going to link this as well. And the final study I'm going to read, which is um, actually it's, it's, another, it's another article. I did read a study as well. Um, 
but this one's incredibly interesting. This study um, or this article is titled what happens to your brain after having too much casual, casual sex. And then the, the little subtitle is you could make it harder for yourself to permanently bond with someone. Now I find this particular article interesting because this, um, this author, Tracy Luke actually, um, states and further down in this article that she doesn't advocate for, um, abstinence, which I think is quite interesting, but these findings lean towards that direction. So I'm going to read a decent amount of it just because, um, it's relevant to modern society, modern dating, especially, which is messy, (laughs) but, um, this is really important stuff here. All right. So she opens by saying, I've always been the writer, got ride or die kind of girl. If you could unlock the achievement of getting into my pants, I would take a bullet for you. So that just, that opening is, is intense. It's, you know, it's very, (laughs) very, um, a good, a good, um, a good picture of modern society in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I'm going to skip down a little bit. It says dating apps aside, what the euphemism Netflix and chill connotes is very telling of our current views of sex, a modern code word and an invitation for hookups sounding like a leisure activity for when you were bored on a weekend. I I've have friends who have friends with benefits, people married with kids sleep around on the side. Some even cross borders over the weekend for a booty call. (laughs) One swipe and one flight away. So this is the state we're in right now. The state of, of friends with benefits, of polyamory. This is just what we're seeing, which is pretty wild. So the next subtitle is titled Love and Sex and the Brain. Biological anthropologist Dr. Helen Fisher suggests not to have sex with someone unless you are prepared to fall in love with them. And I find that quote to be so interesting. In her work outlined in the video, casual sex doesn't exist. She speaks of how humans have evolved three brain systems when it comes to finding and most importantly, keeping a partner. And so these are the three brain systems. The first is the sex drive. The second is romantic love. The third is attachment. So the sex drive is the creating for sexual gratification. The romantic love is the elation, the giddiness, the euphoria, the craving of passionate, obsessive love. So think of, um, um, think of infatuation and then the attachment, which are feelings of calm and security with a long-term partner. It is possible to be in love with someone before sex or the opposite occurs where you catch feelings after doing the deed. There is no control over which brain regions would light up leading to romantic love or attachments. So that's an interesting point. Any one of the systems could fire up in any combination or all three at once. Hormones released during, I'm just going to say sex because the other word is, you know, yeah. Um, Such as oxytocin and vasopressin also primes us for bonding with our partners. And the next sentence is powerful and amazing. It is sex is more than a physical act. There is a quote here from the psychology of sex by Stephen A. Diamond. It says sex is a way of lessening our alienation, isolation, and aloneness by physically connecting with um, or being with another person at the most primal level of existence. Sex substantiates, humanizes, and incarnates existence. It produces joy, love, comfort, affection, and sometimes ecstasy. End quote. 
That is some deep stuff, and yet our lax views of sex could be damaging not only for society as a whole, but there are negative impacts on our brains if we overdo it. And then she goes on to talk about research from the Medical Institute for Sexual Health. I will read a quote from this. When an individual chooses to engage in casual sex, breaking bond after bond with each new sexual partner, the brain forms a new synaptic map of one night stands. This pattern becomes a new normal for the individual. When and if the individual later desires to find a more permanent partner, the brain mapping will have to be overcome, making a permanent bond more difficult to achieve. This quote encapsulates the idea of quote unquote soul ties that we talk a lot about in the church, which, you know, soul ties actually have statistical and um, evidence um, that's backed by data. And then the next subtitle is effects on mental health. In one study, those who had more sex without strings attached were found to be on average less satisfied with their love lives compared to young adults who had sex frequently in a committed romantic relationship. So the idea is that commitment will stabilize your mental health opposed to having casual sex with several partners. So I find this to be incredibly interesting. I'm going to scroll down to the takeaways Science says it out loud and clear. We are meant to bond with one another when we have sex, whether in a committed or non-committed relationship. Casual sex bypasses the human need to engage emotionally and develop intimacy. Which she um, doesn't necessarily disagree with hookup culture. But here's what she says. I'm just going to quote what it says here. Hooking up is not an issue in itself as long as it isn't overdone. Agree to disagree. But how casual sex is increasingly seen as a social norm should raise questions. How much is too much? Shouldn't the standard be to foster meaningful relationships? There are consequences beyond the physical that aren't immediately noticeable. So this is a very interesting, which she's quoting a lot of different um, studies here. And she also goes on to... um, lay out a little bit more data data from um, a book i believe it's the science of monogamy and here scientists examine the data from 16,000 americans to answer the question how many sexual partners does it take to maximize happiness the answer is one partner in one year okay so the the way that this is worded is interesting because it could mean different sexual partners per year but it also leans towards the one partner like the monogamy for life so this is very interesting. It's, it talks a little bit about dating apps and how it's given lots of options. And it's like, you know, there's everything and like, oh, what if I can get something better? Or, oh my goodness, what if I want this and I want that? And like that gets into having unrealistic standards and things like that. But this really touches on the importance of your body and and who you allow to get close to you sexually who you allow to be with you in that way and I think that's so interesting because all of these ideas that I've read in these studies go back to principles that are in the bible so data is important to take into account in this regard especially because it, it affects the reality of human psychology and, and sociology as well because we were reading all these studies from these sociologists from like Harvard and Johns Hopkins. <laughs> um, but it affects this. Like this is this is what's going to happen. Like this is how the human brain reacts to having sex. So this stuff is important to know. But 
regardless of what this is, what this data says, okay? Jesus heals and restores like no other. So while you may seem like you'll fall into a statistic because you've done this or you've done that or you haven't done this, you haven't done that because you've grown in this type of household or a different type of household, God can break you out of this, uh, out of that. He can, you don't have to, your destiny doesn't have to be a statistic. God can break you out of that destiny. You don't have to be a statistic because Jesus restores and rescues. You are not doomed if you've made a mistake or have done things that you will regret. The reality is that we are all doomed without Jesus. But here's the thing. He gave his life for you. So you are not doomed because he gave his life so that you could be free. So another reason why waiting until marriage is wise is because God desires for you to be pure, whole, healthy, and to have satisfying experiences. As we've read and discovered through these several articles that have been read, the more sexual partners one has, it almost like chips away from them. Like it takes something from like it's it's psychological like it's to quote one of the articles sex is much more than a physical act it involves your emotions and your soul and these ideas are ideas that we've seen in the bible a lot of times and so it's it's so much more than just doing an act because it it, it involves your spirits it involves your mind it involves your mental health it involves your physical health it involves the wholeness and fulfillment in your life. And so God's desire for you is to have a pure, a whole healthy life, to have satisfying experiences, to have meaningful relationships. And his desire for you is not to be hurt. His desire is not for you to be hurt or damaged. If you've been hurt or damaged, God can heal you. He can repair you. He can restore you. But he would prefer if you weren't hurt in the first place. Of course, there are things that happen where we are hurt and it's out of our control. I think it happens to all of us to some degree, but God wants to prevent hurt. He wants to prevent hurt. And if it's not prevented, he can restore. That's absolutely true. But God really wants to prevent hurt and pain in our lives that are oftentimes self-inflicted. Another reason why waiting and waiting until marriage is wise is because Hypersexualized culture and pornography cause us to devalue sex because sex has become such a huge symbol. As they say, sex sells. There has been objectification everywhere in advertisements and movies. Every like you can't go anywhere without it in your face. And so, this idea of like sex becoming so casual, so accessible, it it if it contributes to the the idea of casual sex becoming normalized. And the fact is that we've just, we live in this culture that is so hypersexualized, and this actually is doing a disservice because it's not adding to the quality of our relationships. It's just causing us to think of sex as this super easy thing that anybody can get and just grab and go. That's kind of how, how sex is viewed in this society. Another reason why waiting until marriage is wise is because sex is symbolic. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here from the Bible um, that are um, really touching on the fact that sex is symbolic and why it is. I'm going to start with Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, which say, But from the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person can separate. What Jesus is saying here is referring back to the beginning of Genesis um, during the creation of man. um, And then when God brings together um, in unity, Adam and Eve. I would like to also read Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 8, which say, Let's rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, him meaning God, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, the Lamb being Jesus, and his bride has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. So ultimately, God created marriage. Ultimately, marriage is the symbol of God's unity with his bride, the church. And so sex is not merely a physical act. It involves your soul, your mind, your body, of course. But it is symbolic of the the holy unity of Christ with his church, of that unity that, that is so deep. It's this deep unity. It's not just like we're besties. It's like you're connected. You've become one. And so if we look at the Bible and all the times that it talks about fleeing from sexual immorality, it talks about sexual sin, it's not, once again, it's not just to prevent us from having fun or enjoying ourselves. God's instructions are practical and are for our protection. His instructions are practical and for our protection. God wants to prevent your pain. He wants to prevent your pain. He wants to protect you from pain that can be prevented. Once again, if there's pain that you've gone through, God is so good. He's gracious. He will heal you, restore you. But ultimately, God really wants to prevent you from going through things that will hurt you. Another important thing to remember is that you have one body and you were bought with a price. I would like to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20, which say, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Waiting to have sex until you're in a marital relationship is not to stop you from having fun in your 20s or to prevent you from quote-unquote testing the waters. It's an instruction for wholeness, for protection, for safety, for security, for sacredness, and for ultimately honor. Because ultimately we were bought with a price. And one way that we can honor and worship and love God is by honoring him and glorifying him with our bodies. Granted, okay, there have been a lot of unhealthy ideas spread throughout Christianity in regards to saving yourself until marriage, giving guys a pass, but but um, hammering down on women and pointing the blame at different people. There are so many really, really toxic ideas that have been spread throughout Christianity. Once again, I encourage you to read, um, not read, my apologies. I encourage you to listen to the previous episode, which is titled The Purity Problem. I really talk about a lot of these things. 
But ultimately, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God wants to protect you. He wants you to live a full, healthy, and fulfilled life. Okay? And that has many facets to it. But one important puzzle piece of living a full, healthy life, a whole life, having a whole heart, being able to be as whole as you can, living in kindness, not having bitterness. Of course, once again, God can heal your heart. He can give you a new heart. That is, I need a new heart like every day. Like if we're being honest, we all need newness. We need to be made new again day after day by Christ. But your body is so sacred. Your body is, you got only one of them. <laughs> you got only one body and you were bought with a price. And by by, of course, there are many other things that we need to do to honor the Lord with our bodies. For example, eating healthy, staying active, right? We're not honoring the Lord with our bodies if we're just eating junk food and sitting on the couch and being lazy. That's not honoring the Lord whatsoever. And so I'm not just saying that the only thing you have to do to honor the Lord with your body is not have sex until you're married. That's not what I'm saying at all. But that's a really, really important piece because once again, as I read in one of the previous scriptures, by having sex, you with like... A, by being sexual, sexually moral, right? By participating in a sexual relationship without a spouse, you are hurting yourself ultimately. And I know that sounds really harsh. It sounds harsh. It sounds rough, but it's like you're ultimately sinning against yourself, your own body. You're doing yourself a disservice, not only to your mind, your heart, your spirit, but your body as well. And it hits different. It's, it's like a, it's a different kind of thing, right? It's not, it's of course all sin is equal, but the effects of sin are not quite the same. And sexual sin has a deeper effect on you just because it's such a deep thing. And it's sex is such a beautiful, sacred thing created by God. And yes, it is created by God. Sex is not bad. It's another really toxic idea that's been <laughs> shared throughout Christianity. It's that sex is bad. And then when people get married, they're like, oh, have all the sex you want. And they're like, okay, but sex was bad five minutes ago. Like, what's the deal? So that's another, you know, unhealthy idea that's been spread throughout Christianity. But God created sex to unite a man and a woman because that unity is very, very deep. And that unity that happens through marriage, through sex, is a really, really important piece in a marriage, in a godly marriage. And it, it, it's the closest picture we have of how Jesus feels about his bride, of the closeness of that unity that Christ desires with his bride. Not the physical part, obviously, but that spiritual aspect of sex that's the depth of connection. That's the depth of love that Christ has for his bride. And that is the, the picture that we have, the physical, earthly, tangible example that we have for Christ's love for his bride. But sex indeed is so sacred. And to quote one of the articles that I previously read, sex is much more than a physical act. The purpose of this episode is not to condemn. It's not to say you're wrong. Your marriage is going to fail. You've messed up. There's no turning back. It's not the point of this at all. That's not the point of this episode. The point is to tie together the ideas, um, the biblical principles in regards to sex and your body and marriage and relationships and 
human sociology. And I think it's so interesting because each of these studies were secular studies, studies that were done by sociologists with doctorate degrees. And the data still supports these principles, which I think is so interesting. I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier in this episode, but I have an episode titled Practical Protection. And I talk a lot about how God's protection or God's instructions are practical and they are for our protection. And this is a wonderful example of that practical protection. God doesn't want you to be heartbroken all the time. He doesn't want you to go, you know, between this and that and be heartbroken and have pieces of your heart taken away and have issues with pair bonding, which I think I may have, I don't know if I skipped the pair bonding piece of this um, article, but there was a, a part about pair bonding. Yeah, it talks about, yeah, how, how your brain works when you have a lot of sexual partners and how your brain is rewired and it's rewired and it's, it's hard for you to be satisfied with one person. And so I just find that to be so interesting because it's a principle that is in the Bible and like these, these people, like they, not just people, but these like sociologists are, are realizing these trends, especially as we are in the era of sexual liberation and how promiscuity is just so mainstream, which is very unfortunate. But it's, it's, it's aligns with these principles of like sex is the best when you're married. Of course, once again, you, you, there's a lot of blanket statements that can be said, but there are, of course, things that it's not like 100% of the cases. Of course, you should make sure that you marry a very kind person who loves God, who's respectful, who doesn't push your boundaries, who's going to love and cherish you, and who's committed to you, not someone who's going to take advantage of you, um, and not someone who has red flags that were ignored because of red rose-colored glasses because when you wear rose-colored glasses all the flags look red and you can't tell which ones are red and which ones are not and so of course mate selection is important it's important to choose a good kind person a generous person a thoughtful selfless person because if you if you marry someone who's not a great person it's not going to be the same case like you're not necessarily going to be satisfied in your marriage because you're not going to be valued and so, of course, that doesn't mean 100% of marriages will be a certain way because you have to have that idea of commitment. You have to be aligned in the value area. You have to have, you know, similar goals that align with each other. You can't just marry someone who wants to live in a different country for six years and, and do their own thing and then leave your own red <laughs> and then be like, oh, hey, I'm back. Let's be besties now. Like, no, no, no. You guys got to be aligned. But regardless, what God instructs for us to do is practical. It's for your protection. God doesn't want you to be heartbroken. He doesn't want you to be sad all the time. He doesn't want you to to not experience whole fulfilling relationships. And he wants you to have a beautiful marriage, which includes a good sex life. God wants this for you, literally. And so the instructions that he lays for us are to promote these things to promote and to encourage waiting because it will contribute to a more fulfilling marriage and of course if you want children 
into building a family with beautiful people, of good, kind people. And so it's really important to remember this, that the Bible and the Lord isn't just saying to wait until marriage because I said so, but the reason why he's saying to wait is because his protection is practical. And so if you think about this as you are living in this world that is hypersexualized, where promiscuity is, is so just everywhere, and where everything is over-sexualized and objectified and respect isn't always present, remember that, that this, these instructions are for your protection. Sometimes we can feel like we have FOMO, which is the fear of missing out, because we don't get to experience certain things. We don't get to do something by a certain age. But we have to remember that if you are walking with the Lord, walking in the spirit, the Lord is walking with you. And if you are, are taking his advice, if you are taking the path that he has made for you, these things you're not experiencing, it's a blessing because he's protecting you from pain. He's protecting you from things that you don't necessarily need to be exposed to. He's preserving your purity. He's preserving your innocence. And he ultimately is just protecting you, your future relationships. And you never know what God is protecting. Just know that God is protecting you, even if you feel like you're missing out on something. You're really not. You're missing out on pain. You're missing out on on experiences you wish you didn't have. You're missing out on on heartbreak. Which of course heartbreak can happen in any type of way. But God's protecting you from these horrible things. And so when you're going through life and you feel like you're missing out, know that God's protecting you. And and be confident in the fact that He wants the best for you. He has his plans for you are to prosper you, not to harm you. To give you hope and a future. I hope that y'all enjoyed today's episode. It was a bit longer than normal. There was a lot of information that needed to be, you know, told, but I hope that y'all enjoyed this. Um, thanks so much for listening once again. If you know of someone who could use this message, please send it. Um, even if it's just one person, I don't care. That is awesome. I just want to encourage y'all because it'd be a struggle out here for us young Christians. Sometimes things don't make sense, but God is good. No matter what happens, God is so good. He's so awesome. And I just wanted to encourage y'all, um, because yeah, it's, it's rough out here. It's, it really do be rough. It'd be, it'd be hard. It'd be rough. It'd be difficult. Anyways, I love y'all so much. Um, if you get a chance, please rate or review the podcast. I would really appreciate it. I still need some more ratings or reviews. I'd greatly appreciate that. Um, but that's it for today's episode. I love y'all so much. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. And I will talk to y'all next Tuesday. Ciao.